In the last week's gospel from Matthew, God provided us a framework to deal with sin between the members of our Christian community. This process was fourfold. One, go to the person that sinned against you. Two, go to the person with a wise church person member. Or two, if the issue is not resolved. Three, go to the whole church and seek their guidance if the issue is still not resolved. And four, treat the person as if they were outsiders and remove them from Christian fellowship for the sake of the community, only as a last resort. The framework Jesus provides us is set in order to reconcile the person back into the covenant community of God. And it needs to be said again that complete annihilation mentioned above is the absolute last resort after all other options are exhausted. In this week's text, Jesus now provides an additional lesson to this framework. In Peter's mind, the process mentioned above could be abused if the forgiveness is granted every time. He asks, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? And Jesus tells him, I tell you, 77 times. Within Judaism, three times is, was sufficient to show a forgiving spirit. But Peter offers a more generous approach by offering seven. And Jesus gives us the lesson of 77 times, meaning the true disciples of Jesus are to forgive without keeping the count. But to address Peter's concern more practically, Jesus tells the story of a Gentile king who tries to settle his account with his servants. The story unfolds in three scenes, one between the king and the first servant. The servant in the story is not a household slave, but should be understood as a subordinate official. The debt mentioned is incurred due to a mismanagement of king's resources or contracting the raised taxes from subject nations, not by a personal loan or personal expenditures. A talent was the largest monetary unit equaling 20 kilograms of silver, which was the wages of a manual laborer for 15 to 20 years. 10,000 talents mentioned in the parable would be a measure called myriad, which was the largest monetary unit imaginable. Just to give you an understanding, the annual tax income for the King Herod's territories was only 900 talents a year. So 10,000 talents would exceed the taxes for Samaria, Judea, Phoenicia, and Syria. The parable implies that the mentioned king forgave an unimaginable debt once and for all, in spite of the fact that there was no human way of ever paying the debt back to him, even if the debtor was jailed for the rest of his life. 
the situation without forgiveness was hopeless. So the servant asked them for mercy, and against natural odds, the king granted the mercy to him. In a second scene, the same servant, after having received the divine act of mercy against all odds, goes after the fellow who owes him 100 denarii, which is only 100 days of wages. And his demand for repayment is physically violent. The amount to be repaid is significantly different, as is the manner of which it is demanded. So in the first scene, there was no reasonable way to repay such a debt. One could either be condemned or to receive mercy. The parallel between the two scenes is that one is reasonable and one is not. Furthermore, the servant does not treat his friend who has he, as he has been treated. The situation rightly offends the king. And the immediate community is bothered by this, and the report is made to the master of such hypocrisy. In the final scene, the king, in an unthinkable maneuver, takes back his forgiveness and condemns the servant to eternal punishment. Why? because he is unable to grant one fraction of the forgiveness he received. We can all see the moral error here. But at verse 35, as Jesus likes to do, he makes things personal for you and for me. He says, so will my heavenly Father do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. In this Matthean allegory, the king in the story is God. The debt to be paid is sin. The first servant represents to all of us, all who have committed an enormous debt of sin, yet have been forgiven by God. The second servant is the one who commits an ordinary sin against a fellow Christian. So what do we learn from all of this? Jesus' way of forgiveness is beyond calculation. 1 Corinthians 13, 5 echoes that whoever counts has not forgiven at all, but is only biding his or her time. When we do not forgive others as we have been forgiven, God's forgiveness is invalidated. The moral of the story can be psychologized by arguing that one who does not forgive others has never really received God's forgiveness in the first place. So it's not really taken back. When we are confronted with the issue of sin, however traumatic, we are asked by our Heavenly Father to bring our hearts to the eventual, if not immediate, place to forgive the person that hurt us. And when the process of struggling with this is extremely difficult, as you're thinking in the pew right now, we can think on our own sins from which God scandalously, mercifully, and graciously forgave us. I'm not suggesting condoning or forgetting the crime, the abuse, or the hurt that is caused by the sinner. I'm not even remotely suggesting 
that one should let the person back into their lives in the former capacity in which they were before. I am not commanding us to act as if it is not happened. Forgiveness is not denial, nor is it forgetfulness. It is choosing day by day, moment by moment, if need be, to release the hurt of the injury from slowly poisoning us to the possibility of vengeance, anger, or cynicism. Unforgiveness is a sign of not believing in God's forgiveness for us. Our hatred of the person that has sinned against us can be a mirror to our self-hatred and refusal to accept God's forgiveness. If you're having a problem with forgiving a person, ask yourself these questions. Are you having a difficulty forgiving yourself or having difficulty accepting the unmerited favor from God made possible by the sacrifice on the cross? Are you still trying to earn God's forgiveness by working off your sins? Dare to believe however many talents of past debt you owe to God, your sins are forgiven once and for all through the acceptance of the atonement of Christ's crucifixion on the hardwood of the cross. The cross makes the ultimate act of love available to you right now. This unearned gift of grace, however, is not meant for you to solely to hold on to it. It only bears fruit by passing this gift of grace to somebody else, anyone else, and yes, everyone else. We cannot limit Christian grace to the spheres of our life we're comfortable to apply it to. Our ability and continual effort to grant forgiveness to those around us, however hard we struggle with it, is truly the way we are marked, an earthly vessel of God's grace and love. Open up your heart, open your hands, and there to ask God to lift a burden so you can truly forgive even the strongest hurt you have incurred by someone. Bring that hurt, bring that memory, and lay it on the altar during communion. God forgives you. God wants you and I to forgive. God intends us to be free of the anger, the resentment, and the exhaustion from worrying about how and when he should grant justice to others. Dare to let go and let God and allow God to transform your heart to become one that belongs to a true child of God's. You can only do this, and I can only do this, by accepting forgiveness and generously passing it on to others. The gift is not meant for us to keep. Amen.